I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. We're one of the first generations to have every single bit of recorded knowledge at our fingertips, and yet we still believe demonstrable bollocks because somebody's tweeted it. Uh, that, that frightens me a little bit. Today, we've got returning guest Stephen Knight. I'm a huge fan of Stevens, which is why I've asked him to come back on the show. I don't often have people on uh, more than once, but I think it's been over a year. I'm not sure. Uh, Steven is an online thought leader, and I'd say a comedian too, who became known for his Twitter account, G Spellchecker. Um, he used to correct religious people's misspelling of the word atheist, um, and he did it with quite a lot of humor. It was really funny. Uh, it got picked up by a lot of uh, big accounts and people like Ricky Gervais, for example, who shared it. And so his Twitter account grew a lot. Uh, Ricky asked uh, Stephen on his podcast quite often as well. So uh, it really grew and spiraled from there. He's evolved to take what I'd call the central, moderate and sensible ground on all issues, taking anti-vaxxers and right-wing conspiracy theorists to task just as much as he does to ideological lefties and woke critical race theorists. Follow him on at GSpellchecker on Twitter and also find his brilliant podcast, uh, Godless Spellchecker, wherever you get your podcasts. He's even had me on it, so I can attest to its brilliance. He's one of those people I feel totally at home with and our meandering conversation today uh, goes from such serious topics as trans ideology and anti-vax to the new Batman movie and Chelsea Football Club. I hope you enjoy this one. Please share it and tell a few friends about this podcast. That's been helping a lot recently since I've asked you all to do that. So please keep telling everyone you know about it. It makes a huge difference, bigger than you probably realize. Head to patreon.com slash Gold for our bonus chat, which was 45 minutes in the end. Basically another podcast episode in itself, and we really had a lot of fun. In the next week, I'll be talking to Dr. Shaham Das about some mad true crime shiz, as well as Chris Atkins, um, a middle-class journalist and documentary maker who went to prison for two and a half years for tax fraud. So he'll be telling me all about life in Wandsworth Prison. But for now, it's Stephen Knight. This is why it's good interviewing podcasters because you can relax. We, we've got it in the bag. We, I mean, it doesn't matter how uninteresting we are. It's going to sound fine <laughs> from a quality perspective. Oh, man. I wish we could just... It's, it does get a bit incestuous, but it is nice, isn't it? We should all just interview each other all the time and not do anyone else. <laughs> yeah. I'd like that. I think you've become a, a slight therapy session for me because I sp spending all my time interviewing people, I very, very rarely get to offload what oh, I'm thinking yeah. and feeling. So this is great. I'm going to... 
sit back and start talking about my childhood. Oh, please do. Yeah. yeah. Up somewhere in the up somewhere in the north. You could do that if you wanted to. I know you're joking. Yeah, it's very, could... very black and white and grainy and oh. lots of uh, gravy involved. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what it's about. But you're a vegetarian these days, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. I, I've fallen in and out of veganism. Um, I'm, a, I'm comfortable with saying vegetarian. Yeah, that's me. The same, the same with me. It sort of means like I want to do something and it feels a bit gross to eat dead corpses, but cheese is, and chocolate are nice. But cheese, life's too short. I've had a bit of a journey on this, actually. I've kind of, I mean, I think the vegan argument is correct from an ethical standpoint, but I don't actually think everybody going vegan's going to be the solution. If you look at the trends, there's more and more vegans uh, are increasing. So are people eating meat and obviously developing nations. Factory farming's on the increase. I think what's going to settle it is some uh, affordable and palatable cultured meat or franken meat or labs grown meat, as they, they like to call it. I think that'll settle the debate at the end of the day. So stuff your face full of meat, as far as I'm concerned. And then when the franken burger and franken steaks available, you can you can swap. Are you looking forward to that happening? Because I still feel a bit grossed out by the idea of it. It's funny. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because it's I think I think what you need to remember is that every single piece of food that comes to market went through a lab process. That that's how it's found safe, and it's it's weird because I mean it's just the word lab, isn't it? it sounds like some people mucking about with science, and it's going to be like the start of a eighties Jeff Goldblum movie uh, or something. But um, I mean the good thing about cultured meat, I suppose, is you can remove a lot of the harmful stuff. You can probably control for fats, things like that. There's going to be no. Uh, there won't be any hormones in there. You'll be able to remove all the feces. Do people usually eat feces then? I, sp- I suppose they do. Yes. Uh, these uh, meats and milk. I'm just going to ruin a lot of people's day already, aren't <laughs> I? The obnoxious vegetarian. People tucking into dinner listening to this. Yeah. Uh, slight trigger warning here, but milk, meat, animal products in general are f- uh, yeah, full of all sorts of nasties and, and byproducts that uh, they can't quite remove yeah Stephen. there you go sorry spoiled the cow juice for everybody i know and yet if you think about what milk is i mean what difference to feces and urine anyway it comes out of basically a cow's like six penises it has i mean i know it's a woman cow but it's like a woman cow's six or eight penises it's funny because i've I've been on a journey with this because people people turn the nose up at like uh, you know the idea of cultured uh, meat or lab meat like well that's it's not natural it's not right you know just the dead animal carcass for me and it's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of counterintuitive isn't it i think there is a, a big cultural aspect to me and I, I understand how it fits in society and how it can be um you know families can can socialize and bond and the idea of having a roast at christmas things like that it's a massive cultural tradition and it's it'll take a long time before our perspectives are changed on it sufficiently i just there's no way of doing it there's no way of feeding everyone on the planet with with meat products without torturing uh, uh, animals and destroying the environment it's just it's just not possible we can't all be joe rogan and hunt elk with our crossbow as much as we'd like to uh, so yeah, I think I think science is going to uh, end this debate for us eventually. So yeah, enjoy your burger for now. There's a third type of vegetarian that I think is overlooked, and I'm one of them, and that's why I talk about it. But it's the reason that we're overlooked is because there's no virtue that can come from talking about the reasons that we're vegetarians, and that is because it just grosses us out to think about a dead thing in our mouths and in our stomachs and things like that. And I think a lot of vegetarians who will say it's about the environment and they'll say it's about, and often that is the case, or about the animal torture and stuff a lot of it is also that and it's like it's handy that you can say oh it's because i care so much and it's actually i'm a bit grossed out and that's why i won't eat prawns right they don't feel do you know what i mean 
That's funny. And I appreciate that's the thing that exists because my girlfriend's that way. Uh, but I've never had that issue. I never had that relationship between what was on my plate and a living creature. It never felt like a live thing. And I th- I'm a kind of self-loathing vegetarian. I used to love steak. Me and my best friend used to plan our evenings about where we could find the best steak for the best price. Uh, so I, I was a big, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to say meat lover without saying meat lover. So that little bit can't be cropped out of context and turn to something else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I could probably tuck into, I don't know, I could probably tuck into a steak and be fine. It's more the smell now, to be honest. I, and it's really strange how attuned you get to it. I know when something I've eaten has been cooked on the same surface as meat within a second of it touching my mouth. Uh, so it kind of changes your senses a little bit. You know what? I'm, I'm con- I was going to talk to you about about YouTube for a second. And the reason being, because I'm just doing, a, I'm, I've just like signed up for some $200 YouTube course that I don't think, it might be one of the, it, I don't know if it was definitely a good idea because a lot of it's like, oh, you know, do, don't do what you do, do when you do. It's like that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, for God's sake. And one of the things it says is, um, and, and also, oh, you know, I think yours is the same as mine, your podcast in that most people listen, I think. Um, if Am I right in saying yeah, and so some people get big on YouTube, like Chris Williamson, you know, and he's got all the muscles and stuff, and he's very handsome. And there are other reasons as well that he's very big as well. Um, but it said um, to start your conversation with something that you're going to put in the title that's going to be big. Now, obviously, vegetarianism is going to be a massive turn-off. You're going to cut in that I like, eat, like meat now, aren't you? That's, that's going to be it, isn't it? Stephen Knight wants to shoot elk. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a winner. I think I so. No. So I was going to say, what's the thing? So I had a look at your channel, and I thought, like, what's and and that is, and I do think, and I don't usually talk. I do a thing in the intro and outro, but it's called the, the Night Tube, and it's a fantastic channel. Lots of, well, we'll get into what it is. But one of the most popular videos, and you've got to look at the most popular videos that aren't just like Ricky Gervais, you know, big the name, names, Richard Dawkins, Tommy Robinson scores high. Yes, and that's that's funny because. See, if you were going to be really cynical about this YouTube thing, you could say, I'm just going to make Tommy Robinson videos for the rest of my life. I've seen that. It's, I mean, the, the hundreds of thousands of views or whatever it is for certain demonstrations I've recorded that he's been present at uh, always do well. But I don't like to be cynical. I like to be free to cover whatever interests me at the time. And I know there's certain things that are not going to do very well and certain things that do do very well uh, but I, I don't want to be influenced by that I, I want to be free to sort of jump on something topical or something new something different so I'll never be massively popular <laughs> because of that I don't think because I gain some uh, audience members by covering a Tommy Robinson event then I lose them by banging on about veganism uh, and then I'll I'll gain some people by covering gender critical arguments and then I'll lose people by hosting some trans rights discussion so it is what it is. It's not. I don't want it to be a popularity contest. At the end of the day, can you see that cat tail there? My. Um, oh yeah. You're gonna have to get down, buddy. Yeah. Come on. You're big on big on your cats. I know that. I do love animals. This one's yeah. a bit of a absolute bastard. Get down. Get down. I'm a I'm a dog uh, person. We we the other day I bought a mop in a shop, and when I came out with the mop from the shop uh, in in the box. In, instead of a mop well the mop was there but also like dog sounds snacks. like a limerick this <laughs> yeah, uh, <at> <laughs> i realized as i was saying it the mop in the box in the shop uh and there was um dog 
um, snacks in there that had somehow fallen into the box before I bought it in the shop in the <laughs> with the dog. And so we've been planning to go to parks to just like give them out to dogs. Is that, is that out of guilt that some poor good boy missed out on his treat? <laughs> is it a treat? Yeah, well, a little bit. And I wondered, like, is it is that weird to loiter? I can only ever do that with my girlfriend. I couldn't go and loiter in parks to hand out chew toys to dogs or do snacks to dogs. I think... I think there's a line. I think you'd be certainly in trouble if it would if it was sweets and children. I think I think that's where you get into into uh, serious situations. I think dogs are fine. Everyone likes to have the dog fussed over, don't they? Yeah, older dogs maybe just to not necessarily their their child. Oh, you know what I did today? Actually, I just remembered because we were in the park and playing with everyone's dogs, but we forgot to bring the snacks on that occasion. And Oh, I was playing with a dog and this we were talking to an older, quite an old woman. She's a great grandmother. And this couple came past as well. And everyone's all chatting and stuff. And somebody said, you know, do you have kids or whatever? And I said, oh, I don't want to, you know, not not yet. Oh, you know what? Actually, the story's wrong. But I just said, like, I, <laughs> I've just realized the story's too offensive to tell on the podcast. So I'm not going to tell it. Now you have to tell it. I'm going to tell it, but just for you. And then I'm just going to leave. <laughs> not <doing> it. <laughs> it was awful because um, I said, like, no, I don't, I, we've not, we'd, we'd get a dog, we wouldn't have kids because, you know, not ready to ruin my life yet. And as I said that, the couple sort of turned around and I realised um, they had a kid with them. So they had a kid and the kid was unfortunately disabled. And it looked like I had said that at them. Oh, and they, no. they didn't laugh. And so I went, oh, oh, um, just about, you know, the kids, don't worry, I was a kid once as well. Like, I'm not having a go at all kids. And they just sort of walked off and it was horrible. Man, that is bad luck. I mean, that's funny. And that's, I don't know, maybe you're like me, but sometimes when you're, I mean, for me being asked if you're, I mean, did they ask you if you had kids or you was having kids or something along the lines? You know what it was actually? I'm just remembering it now. It was just like, have you got a dog? And I said, no, I'll get a dog uh, when we have kids because my life's already ruined. Right, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's funny. And that that that's quite charming uh, in a way. Um, but sometimes... Yeah, dark humour doesn't all well, not necessarily dark humour, but a bit of um, irony. It doesn't doesn't always land depending on the tag. Yeah, you you fucked up there. Sorry, mate. Nothing. I've yeah. got nothing for you. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a bad in. day. That's a bad day. It was just unfortunate, wasn't it? And I tried to overcompensate to make up for it because I sort of, so I sort of went after them then with the dog that wasn't my dog to be like, <laughs> don't you want to play with the dog? And they were sort of looking back like, get away. It was it was like something out of a sitcom, really. And I was bright red. I'm bright red now, just recounting it. It it killed me that. I've got I've got nothing for you. I'm really yeah. I'm very I'm sorry for your loss on that one. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by 
other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's EXPRESSVPN.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts, and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. What's Tommy Robinson like in person, mate? Um, exactly what you'd expect, to be honest. He's very ranty, very shouty, very... Um, comes across as as if he's in the trenches, because I suppose he is. I mean, regardless of what you think of him as a person, I've got some very strong opinions on that. He's. It takes a little bit of courage to stand out in a crowd of people knowing that there's a, a lot of people in the country that want you dead. Uh, and, you know, even the people who aren't like violent Islamists or jihadists that want you dead, the, the British public in general is not too keen on the man. And I say I say that he has, he has a lot of support. He did have a lot of support. So, I mean, he's a mixed bag and I get in trouble for saying that. Uh, and I, uh, and I, I have no allegiance to him. I, I think he's a bigger problem than he is a solution to anything. I think he lies. I think he spreads misinformation. I think he does a lot to line his own pocket. I think he takes a lot of credit for things he's had absolutely no input in whatsoever. But sometimes he gets things right. And he's, he's it's interesting to me because I, I think he's probably got a shout at being one of Britain's most influential activists of the last 15 years. Whether Whether you like that or not, I can't think of many other people that can get such a sizable crowd together in one place at such short notice. I mean, even politicians struggle with that. So I don't, I don't know. I've not heard anything from him for a long time. I don't mean personally. I just mean, I mean, I'm not in touch with him. He's probably got no idea who I am, but um, I've not really seen anything from him. And I think it goes towards this idea of you getting, if you, whether you get, can operate on social media or not, pretty much is your existence in this, this public debate now, isn't it? I don't, I don't, if you haven't got a Twitter account or access to YouTube or Facebook, you're you're on the fringes, even you know fringe of the fringe. Now you're pretty much gone away in uh, most people's consciousness. So it's interesting how that how that affects the discourse. Stephen Knight says Tommy Robinson is one of Britain's most influential activists. Just get the thumbnail, and that's a hundred thousand whatevers, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I mean I don't like Nigel Farage, but I think he's probably been one of our most influential politicians in the last 20 years too, in, in terms of taking us out of the EU and the, the influence that has. I just think you've just got to be objective. It does sound like praise, doesn't it? Uh, I, but I'd rather 
he wasn't Tommy Robinson. I'd rather he wasn't doing the things he does. So there is that. I'm not there um, supporting him with placards or anything. I think, I mean, this, look, I, I'm sort of joking about the thumbnail stuff, although I might actually just put it as that to, as an experiment. You might, can I do that with that? And see, see if that maybe works. Not. That's, maybe not. I don't know. That's going <laughs> to, that's getting the stink of um, Tommy Robinson fans off me again. Oh, it's going God. to be hard work. Yeah, um, Stephen Knight loves Tommy Robinson. Here's what. Here's yeah. seven reasons why. <laughs> okay, we yeah. won't do that then. Um, but this is this is this is what you do. It's like, and, and it's it's what I think is like adult conversations, and it's saying I don't like this person, and I think a lot of the stuff they do is bad. They also might do some good things, and like, t- obviously, Twitter is not the best place for that you know people go mad at you don't they people go mad and you recently had uh, you touched on it before you had two trans people on to discuss trans ideology and you did it by having two trans people who had opposing opinions about the ideology itself um and i thought that was a brilliant way to do it the whole world went absolutely berserk at you so tell us what happened uh, well, uh, the last several years, I've been very interested in this um, gender debate, uh, especially how it pertains to self-ID, how that influences legislation, speech laws, women's spaces, safeguarding issues. And there's a lot going on there, and I'm just trying to pick out what's legitimate and what's influenced by perhaps some sort of bigotry. And I, there's a lot of groups and a lot of women, specifically women, who I think have a lot of legitimate concerns who don't want to see trans people oppressed or make their life difficult but have some very concerns about their own existence as well so i i've i mean i've spent the majority of my time interviewing people who would be classed as quote-unquote gender critical because i think these people have been pushed to the fringes and been had a label put on them and i think they've got something interesting to say and that's always fascinated me what does that mean just for for people who like who are just not that knowledgeable about the the whole twitter and and you know these words it seems to be, and this is an oversimplification, there's a lot in between, but there is one camp at which would be considered the progressive pro-trans rights ideology that would that would back something known as self-ID, where in order to be classed legitimately as a member of the opposite sex, you simply have to just self-ID into that opposite sex. The, you know, It's not a requirement to transition surgically or have any medical procedures. You can just identify as a different sex, and society should be willing to treat you as that sex. That's that's the far end of the scale. Uh, pushing back to that are people that would be um, would describe themselves as gender critical, sometimes described as trans exclusionary radical feminists or TERF for short, which is pretty much a slur at this point, I think, or certainly a pejorative rather. Uh, and they say that actually sex is immutable sex is binary uh, there is such a thing as female and that's objective and defined defined by your biology and that and because of that we have a, some especially unique concerns about spaces as it pertains to safety uh, so them two groups are fighting as it seems and i've spent most of my time speaking to one side not necessarily out of design it's certainly the side i probably sympathize more to but it's very difficult to get um, people on the progressive end of the scale to come and talk, strangely. But I've interviewed authors like uh, Deborah So, um, Helen Joyce. I've been to a few protests to cover the speeches there from these women's groups. And I think people may have had a good shout to say that I'm slightly um, biased on this issue. I'm, I'm, I'm not 
putting out a balanced perspective by not having the other side on, which I, I thought was actually, that's quite fair. So let me reach out to somebody who's quite influential, very not certainly in Twitter, has her own uh, YouTube channel. That's, she's called Katie Montgomery, and she takes the perspective uh, of uh, progressive trans viewpoints. Uh, she's very eloquent. She's smart. She's She can argue well. And uh, I knew she was willing to speak to someone called Debbie Hayton, who would probably, well, clearly takes the other side on this debate, trans woman herself. So I had them both on and we had, I think, a perfectly good discussion. It was civil. Uh, No fireworks, really. But a lot of people on the gender critical side um, was quite annoyed uh, and sort of saw it as three men discussing women's rights. And I kind of have, I have a bit of sympathy towards that argument, but I don't think it works well in the context of my other output or, or certainly the topics we discussed. And it wasn't three people all chiming to the same hymn sheet. There was disagreement. There was, ver- you know, various perspectives were represented there. So uh, it's strange because the mask slipped on a lot of these people. It became quite apparent a lot of people just didn't think trans people should be interviewed strangely so there you know it's nice for that to happen every now and then so i can just kind of oh yeah of course transphobia is still a massive thing in, in certain areas and um uh, that can manifest itself on on, e- on either side that's really interesting though isn't it because i think uh i follow you on twitter and I'm, I'm always i find myself agreeing like i'm waiting for the time that i don't agree with you and and, and... i'll lose it eventually everyone loses it <laughs> i think if you look at the trends on twitter I'll be so let down, um, or, or you will if I if I, I wouldn't tell you actually. I just sort of silently go, oh. <laughs> silently mute me, and mm. well, I've done that to a few people actually. I've like, oh, I can't, can't quite bring myself to tell you how much of a lunatic you are now. But uh, I don't have to get involved. It's the whole Batman thing of I don't have to, uh, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you either. I think <laughs> I always bring it back to the great philosopher Bruce Wayne. Have you seen the latest Batman? I, I did. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. It's quite. I've just heard it so long, so it's like I'm pre- I'm preparing myself for like a long thing. I like a long slog in a movie. I'm happy with a three or four hour uh, marathon, but I did feel every minute of this two hour fifty five minute thing, and that's that. I'm a massive nerd uh, when it comes to films, and I I left feeling nothing about it, uh, and haven't thought about it much since, which is rare for me. I'm in the minority. I, I, all the reviews, uh, uh, you know, absolutely uh, astounding in, in terms of their praise. I, I really like Robert Pattinson. I've, I've loved the stuff he's been doing the last couple of years. I agree. Yeah, I wasn't one of these people who sort of um, lost my shit about the casting. I thought, well, he, he's got the chops. He can he can do it. I just think that the characterization, his version of Batman, and he does a, a spectacular job with it, with what's on the page in terms of script. But I just don't think it's a particularly compelling version of the character. And the third act was a bit bit of a letdown it was building up and then it, what how they end it is kind of a bit deflating that is a shame i will try and watch it at some point i've rewatched the the sort of the nolan trilogy and i i, I also they weren't in my mind they weren't as good as i remembered they because i remembered them but i was like shocked at how subtle they were it was like oh my god it's batman but it's like real people with subtle different and then watching it again it was like no this is batman <laughs> you know i i don't know how many hours of conversation i've recorded but i've been waiting for the moment for someone to bring up Batman. I mean, it's never happened. And I, I'm, I'm purely in my comfort zone now. This is, this is just going to be an hour of Batman. Yeah. The Nolan, I love the Nolan films. I think people have, people have got to sort of remember where Batman was cinematically at the time of Batman begins. Batman was, a you know, he'd just come off the back of Batman and Robin in 97. He'd become a cinematic joke. Uh, he had to be reinvented uh, in a very grounded and different way. And I think, I think why 
you look back at them Nolan films now and the, 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 they seem a certain way because they were laying the ground for other films to then reinvent the superhero genre and do even bigger and more fantastical things. So when you look at them now, they do feel very stripped down and quite basic in some areas, but they sort of had to exist for other films to then take the bat on, I think. But so so going back to trans, <laughs> trans ideology and stuff like that, how does it feel to you when you do get these people who followed you with everything else who suddenly then go, oh, what, you've done this thing? Do you get upset or has it been years of this now and you're just like, whatever? I've never got upset about social media. I've, luckily, um, I, I mean, there have been moments when I thought, well, this is unpleasant. And then I put my phone in my pocket and I go and do something. I think, I mean, the ni- in the nicest possible way, and I don't mean to be mean or disparaging to people, but I don't, I'm not, I don't live for Twitter. It's not, it's not my life. I have other things and interest. And I think if that's all I had and that was my world, um, it probably would get to me a bit more. But I know that if, if something can go away by you literally putting it in your pocket, it's not a big, it's not a big problem, is it? Well, I guess. Well, I suppose you could say that about like uh, Ukraine, Russia. You put the Twitter in your pocket, not a problem. I was thinking about this the other day because it, I mean, how many years ago would it have been where we would have been unaware of these distant conflicts and, you know, before we were all globally connected and relying on each other for sort of trade, oil, things like that, where so much conflict must have gone on and, and you know, British Jeff there was just going about his day, toiling in the field or, you know, enjoying the newspaper, whatever it was, and he would have been none the wiser. But now we're all aware, we're all, we all have to have an opinion, we all have to announce what we think uh it's it's yeah sometimes there is no getting away from certain things because it's in your pocket actually i never thought that through did i <laughs> well <laughs> we did know about like i don't know, looking back i remember my child i think i'm are we the same age i think i ask you this every time i'm 33 about to be oh no i've got you i'm 37 37 so you'll remember better than i will but i seem to remember from my childhood a bit of like bosnia stuff was happening in yugoslavia so we were a bit aware, but I guess now it would be we'd be really aware now. But we can see it in four K four minutes after it's happened now in our pockets, and that that's something new. And again, that le- le- leads itself to uh, misinformation. If you can, the way we can send media now, and how quick it goes from one place to the other, and what you can do as a tool uh, to muddy the waters and, and spread propaganda, propaganda is quite scary. I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a, that's, I think that's what annoys me. I mean, I, I have a perfectly vanilla opinion on Ukraine, Russia, and it's that Russia has absolutely no justification for the invasion of Ukraine and should retreat immediately. And we should do all we can sanction wise to uh, facilitate that process and put some pressure on them. That's it. That's a boring take, but no one's going to come to my, my channel to hear that. They're going to hear about, they want going to want to hear about, actually, it's probably, a false flag. Uh, it's probably got something to do with Fauci uh, and some biotech labs on the outskirts of, of Russia. You know, they want yeah, all this stuff, and uh, and it's that it's, that's that's sexier to people. But it really depresses me now that the internet's just and any any topical event, any big event, any catastrophe, any any tragedy now can be spun as conspiracy thought fodder, and there's just a, a basic level of critical thinking that's not present uh, anymore and i don't know if and it, and that frustrates me because we, we're one of the first generations to have every single bit of recorded knowledge at our fingertips and yet we still believe demonstrable bollocks 
because somebody's tweeted it. Uh, that that frightens me a little bit. You know, it's funny though, because I guess it comes from this bit of, you know, everybody, everybody wants to be the smartest person in the room. So that's where the conspiracy stuff comes from. So I sort of look down at those people and I'm like, oh, you just want to be the smartest person in the room. And then I think, well, that's me being going back again, like being like so far conspiratorial that I've gone back to the center. And from that point going, I'm actually the cleverest person in the room. So, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying there. It, it is, it, I mean, I, I try and... I mean, I think there are some genuinely delusional people. I think once you have that mindset, you just apply it to everything. I think some people genuinely believe uh, these things are true. I don't necessarily think they're just going to... I mean, it's Alex, Alex Jones is the tough case, isn't he? Does he, does he mean it? Does he not mean it? Uh, that's a difficult one. I don't know if you read uh, John Ronson's book covering that. He, I think he was of the view that he does believe it. I can't actually remember now. But then he's since declared in court that he's playing a character and he doesn't necessarily believe the things he's saying so that's like do you remember the and i'll just say who he is for for non-british but harry redknapp the football manager when he's it was like him going into court and he said that he didn't know he had a bank account or something and his dog set it up <laughs> no i've uh no that's fell out of my memory do you harry red hang on i'm typing this in harry redknapp uh dog bank <laughs> how the dog with a monaco bank account led police to Redknapp's um, secret bungs. And it was, it was uh, yeah, he was sort of blaming it on the dog. Oh, he said he, he, said he couldn't read. Vague, yeah, it's something about bung, bungs is vaguely familiar. Right, okay. Yeah, he's like, I can't read really well, so I didn't know, and I accidentally accepted all this money. And we just sort of all forgot about that years on. <laughs> yeah, and then he was uh, in I'm a Celebrity and everyone loved him again. Yeah, so that's what Alex Jones has done. He's like the political equivalent of that, I suppose. Like, oh, I didn't. I don't really mean it. I'm playing a character. I think he probably believes that stuff, doesn't he? I would say so. And I also think there's something to audience capture. So if you... I, I can manage the information and opinions that are coming at me, whether they're good or bad at the minute, just by the quantity of them. It might seem like a lot to some people, but imagine I was somebody like Joe Rogan. Uh, and it was millions and it was constant and there's a a weird mix of affirmation and criticism and and just outright hostility and sycophancy how do you how do you like wade through all that and try and get a an, a, a grasp of what's legitimate and what isn't and, and maybe the nasty stuff could just be too much of a psychological hit you you, you kind of ignore that and sort of gravitate to all the praise and, and only focus on that. And then you're not getting a decent metric of where you are in terms of objectivity. So I think the strange thing about success, I would imagine if you ever get that big, is that you have to disengage to remain sane. Yeah, but it's impossible, isn't it? And it's just everyone loving you and everyone telling you how great you are. I, I don't yeah. actually think it's possible to do. I don't. I think there's certainly, I mean, I, there's certainly something about finding fame later in life, I imagine, when you get a bit of grounding rather than someone like, say, Justin Bieber, who's probably got no frame of reference for anything. I mean, I don't think I would have handled life any better than he has, having all that fame and success so early. Uh, I just, it's difficult because you look at all the people who were big and influential uh, before social media, they were, they were, you couldn't get to them. They were unobtainable. You couldn't, there were these mystical figures that were held on a pedestal. Now we can see them ranting or fighting with anonymous counts on Twitter and all that, that the mystique's gone away uh, and you see them for the humans they are, which it, it can be good and bad, but um, it's driving everyone insane at the same time. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, Kanye West, he he had to work very hard and, and was got got fame fairly late, I suppose, famous like that, and he's still a nutcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kanye is definitely out there, isn't he? Yeah. So, 
I don't know. I think it happens to might be the might be personality type. Man, I don't know. Oh, I'd like to think it wouldn't. We all like to think it wouldn't happen to us, wouldn't it? Luckily, we'll never be big famous people on that level, famous or whatever. That that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is an experiment that will never need to uh, happen because I'll 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 stay this middling level for the rest of my life. But. Uh, at least I'll keep my sanity, I suppose. I always, I, I mention it, I hope it doesn't annoy you, I always bring it up, but obviously you sort of developed a friendship with Ricky Gervais, who is like one of the few people I can mention that I know that everybody knows who that is. And if you're listening and you mm. don't know who that is, you, you should know who that is. It's a comedian. Um, and and did, I mean, does that, do you still stay friendly? Or is there that, is there that thing of like, oh God, don't want to like his stuff too much? Is there a bit of a professional thing there as well? I, I honestly... I love the man. I love his work. I, I've loved spending time with him. He he, he does, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say we were best friends and we keep in contact all the time, but it's uh, that's not true. That's not really the case. We, we communicate here and there. But I, I think I said last time, it's this, this idea that um, the best thing you can do for somebody who's really famous, if you're, if you're friends with them or whatever, is just leave them alone, really, because there must be people all the time coming to him for things, favors, uh, etc. And then I don't need to send him a message just to get a hello or a hi back as some sort of validation. I think, you know, he's done a lot for me already. You know what I mean? Um, so, but then I think I said last time on the podcast and I was getting worried where he's, you might think, who's this, why is this wanker not messaging me anymore? Is he, is he not, <laughs> is he not like me? What's, what's going on? So yeah. it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Uh, so I, I don't know. I've helped him out and then. Yeah. And then nothing from him. But yeah, sorry, I love you, Ricky. I, uh... <laughs> Ricky, the regular listener to this podcast. Yeah, I'll call you. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah. Do you watch Afterlife? I, you know what? I don't want to ever criticize someone like him because I love him. And he's probably one of my famous, fav- favorite famous people. Along with, right. if I think of like my list of who I'd like to get on here, it's him, maybe Darren Brown as well. I'd love to talk to Darren Brown, um, and then and then Meryl Streep just to throw in gender. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, I can't just keep saying all these men. Um, so it's always that, isn't it? Like, who's your favourite actors? And, act- and as people say, like a few actors, it's Meryl Streep as well. All right, yeah, so. no, no. Sydney. Poitier. Yes, covered that. That's the office reference. I love the office. It was my favorite thing ever. And then extras mm-hmm. at the time was it's but it's also I've looked I've watched it again and it it wasn't to me as subtle as I thought the first time. Again, a little bit like the Batman ones, maybe, whereas the office just it still is. It's just everything about it I love. And then with Afterlife, I found something that I'd found, and I'm talking just on an uh um an artistic level, nothing to do with the, you know, I'm not offended by him saying offensive things or whatever to a, a fat child or whatever. Um, I find when the music comes in to tell you to be sad, and I found that with Derek as well, and, uh, you know, I find that a bit, the signalling, just that, that's all it is. Yeah, I, I would I would agree there's a sentimental aspect to it for sure, which that doesn't always play to my uh, taste, but... I find with Afterlife, it's probably the most Ricky character. And I, I always like, if you've seen, seen Ricky dialed up to a nine or a 10, he's just entertaining. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I think I probably prefer The Office, but uh, I, it didn't stop me blazing through Afterlife episode back to back. And what's interesting about that is no one, like people who have never seen The Office or stand up, a stand up or anything else he's done are, are massively into Afterlife. I'm talking about friends and family who have never mentioned his name to me once or anything. I'm now coming up to me and saying, I've watched the Afterlife with that Ricky. I didn't realize 
you know, what he was. I think a lot of people have this idea that he is David Brent still. Um, yeah, but you know what? That very thing, that, that, that part of me, that ego inside me that wants to be, again, be the cleverest person in the room, I think that's off-putting for people like me. And I don't want it to be, and I know how stupid and immature that is, but I want the more nuanced, difficult one that people, other people were like, oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, whereas this is like, mm. it, it plays to the whole family to an extent, I found, I don't know. It's like when you have a favourite song and then somebody else discovers it and you, you're sort of a little bit resentful about it, which is, is weird. I, I got annoyed that, like, I think my favourite Nirvana song is Something in the Way and they use that in the new Batman film throughout and it's become this big, massive thing now and I'm all like, that's, that's my fucking, it's my song, you can't have it, you can't, that can't be popular now in 2022, that was my song. That happened, that was, that was famously Coldplay, wasn't it? That thing of like, they were quite cool to like and then they blew up and then it was like the least cool band you could ever listen to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm too cool. I'm I'm getting a little bit more mellow in my music tastes now. I think I'm not not so tribal about it. If it sounds good and elicits some sort of emotion from me, it's all good. It's all music. I'm exactly the same, actually. That's part of getting older, isn't it? When you're 17 or 18, you're sort of trying to express who your personality is because you don't have anything else. I thought about this. Like, I, I think back to when I was like 17 or 18, if I went on a date with a girl. Like, what on earth did we talk about apart from like my mum? Like, this is how my mum is at home. And this, my school <laughs> teachers are bad. And, and some of them, are, what do you talk about? So, so what you do is you put posters around your room of like your favourite films and your favourite quotes and your favourite music and all of that stuff. It just happens to be the posters you've got in eight hmv that everybody else has bought but it's to show you individuality and you get older and you reach an age where you're just like you know what's the who cares anymore and then you can you can then just go you know what i like robbie williams and i'm just going to listen to robbie williams and adam buxton's not going to judge me for that and that's it you listen to robbie williams uh if you want to my friend don't let anyone tell you otherwise but yeah there's there's something about finding your identity and latching on to things you think are esoteric are unique and um you know we're gonna we're gonna get to that age where we can stand smirking watching our younger relatives or children do the same <laughs> thing and tell us we don't know what it's like and then yeah. suddenly we're our dad or mum and oh. uh, yeah the cycle cycle completes yeah, we're going to be very uncool very quickly aren't we I think I'm already there actually 18 year old kid watching like Nouvelle Vague French black and white 1950s films <laughs> and then like walking and you're just like with your missus watching like Snoopy on TV I don't know and they're just like oh, I love how that's just Snoopy that's the only thing that could come to you in that moment <laughs> the Snoopy. Simpsons I don't know <laughs> or, the news you know yeah, the news oh, did you ever imagine you'd go to the news as your first click of the remote on a TV when you was a child the idea no. of watching the fucking news was distressing <laughs> to me as a child yeah. I still don't do you not no I prefer to be uninformed I learn every I learn the news through the <laughs> podcast guests <laughs> <laughs> what's going on by the way in the news tell me some some skirmish across the other side of the world somewhere don't worry about it it'll all blow over uh eventually this is a funny thing about news though and this here here we go i'm going to be conspiratorial i'm gonna i'm gonna be conspiratorial here right um covid was a big deal right before covid isis was a big deal or something like that isis suddenly as soon as covid was a big deal isis doesn't exist anymore apparently covid massive deal but now there's a war in russia covid doesn't oh, people are still getting covid but doesn't so to what extent does the news exaggerate things in certain cycles and things you know there'll be like a year where there's everyone's being stabbed 
and then that's forgotten about. To, and to what extent is it, you know, we're now focusing on Russia and we should still be thinking about COVID? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it, it, to go even further back than that, before ISIS emerged, we were obsessed with North Korea. These daily satellite images of his... his bringing the missile on the coast. He's taking yeah. it back again. He's done another test. You know, <laughs> yeah, I forgot he, that. He, he could hit Florida in a minute's notice. And there was this constantly, and all of a sudden ISIS emerged and North Korea is not a worry anymore. So there's definitely certainly something to what the media tells us we must pay attention to and what's important. It does assign a, a value rating to whatever's... Uh, whatever's interesting at the time, I suppose. Uh, yes, so I agree with you there. The media is uh, not particularly balanced in what it's co- it covers. It does choose what is the topic of the moment and then absolutely pummels it into the ground until it's a dead, lifeless corpse and until it can move on to something else. But, uh, I mean, it, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of people at the moment now, though, who are sort of treating anything that comes from an official source as false by default. They, they are so untrusting of the mainstream media... And they think it's some some huge interconnected group controlled by a, a bunch of people, probably Jews. They say they never say the quiet part out loud, but it's usually it, that's usually if you poke hard enough, that's where you end up. Um, and they they think there is some sort of orchestrated plot to misinform us to bring about some sort of great reset or um, some sort of new world order. And I just don't think people who who understand or have ever met people. Uh, know how difficult it is for people to organize at that level and manipulate (laughs) at that level i'd I'd put a lot of what we see down to it you know incompetence rather than rather than malice it's not to say conspiracies don't happen they do but what's that that's that phrase something like um uh, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead and I, th- I think that's 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 probably about right, isn't it, in terms of conspiracy theories? That people try shit all the time, and they get exposed immediately because we're human. Um, so I'm getting a bit, little bit worried about the hostility towards the press. Uh, I noticed a, lo- a lot of that when I used to go out covering uh, Tommy Robinson uh, events. Actually, um, I, they'd be I'd have a camera in my hand, so people would assume I was a, the BBC, and they were very hostile, sometimes a little bit physical. Uh, with it, and uh, you know, it got a bit hairy on occasion uh, because I was a guy with a camera, and part of me was like, I, like a few times, um, I'd have to say I'm not the BBC, and then I felt a little bit shitty because it shouldn't have mattered if I was or not. You know, journalists do not, or people reporting do not deserve to be threatened or you know have hostilities towards them. So uh, it, it's it worries me how much um, hostility can be whipped up in such a short space of time by conspiracies I'm, I'm having a big trouble i'm having a lot of trouble with conspiracies at the minute i've spent a lot of time these last year few years pre-covid taking a kick at my own camp which is the left because i think they've dropped the ball on a lot of big issues which have had very severe consequences but after this pandemic uh, and certainly what's going on now in the uk and in russia the right uh, are far more concerned to me especially when you look at the anti-vaccine messaging that's been coming out, the conspiracies about China and, and, and you know, uh, engineered weapons and things like that. It's, it's a different level of insanity for me. And I feel like I'm just kind of stuck in the middle sometimes trying to say, can you just calm down, please? Yeah, you are you are always in the middle of these things. But I mean, it, it, it is really tempting to sort of fall down that rabbit hole. I was saying to David Bedil, who I know has also been on your podcast just the other day, <clears throat> I, I, even I sometimes wonder if Jews rule the media and I'm Jewish and I start thinking like, 
it would be so in a very Jewish comedic way I sort of think it would be so fucking typical that the Jews do rule the world and just nobody let me in on it like, I'm the one Jew they didn't tell oh man can you imagine being the, the left out Jew <laughs> I'd be livid and it's like, you know when I go home they're all going oh he's gone home right call up Woody Allen right now and <laughs> get me a job in the media not Andrew though he's the one who can't I'd be livid but you know <laughs> oh man yeah that that would be a horrible state of affairs wouldn't it yeah as as for tommy robinson by the way that another reason i sort of mentioned him was because just last night i was talking to john sweeney who's the war reporter who's in yes. kiev at the moment and it was late at night and it was a really weird uh probably the weirdest interview i've ever done because he was you know smashed like as drunk as as you can get out he's out a of character it. isn't he he's a character yeah. Yeah. Right. So for those those who don't know, check out that episode or like look him up. And he, you know, he, there's this thing where he screamed at the Scientologist. Remember Scientology that? documentary. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. You did, will did listen I... to me. It's his panorama as well, yeah. isn't it? He was yeah, I know the guy. Yeah, that's right. But as and another thing that happened was that he 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 was making a documentary about Tommy Robinson, and um, Tommy Robinson sent someone to sort of befriend him, some woman in a bar who filmed surreptitiously and had him saying very biased things and also running up a bill on the, at the BBC's expense for alcohol, which uh, led to him leaving the BBC. So he's now on his own. I, in, I've interviewed her. I know. I think this oh. was before. This was before she did this because she she's called Lucy, isn't she? I don't know. Yeah, so I've met her as well. But oh I interviewed her because she was very well in with Tommy Robinson's camp and then they had a very public falling out. Uh, so I had her on my podcast then to try and get some dirt, I suppose. And I was very, uh, looking back at that episode, I was a little bit naive because she was some, I'm hoping this is the right person, but she, she was someone who'd wear like um, sort of, Aryan sort of far right pendants and things like that but I, I, I kind of viewed it as that she was just trying to trigger people uh, and I kind of I don't think I pushed hard enough on that point when I had her on my podcast I'll have to go back and listen to it uh, but yeah so she was sort of like an undercover mole recording it all getting getting lashed on the BBC's expense while this other yeah. guy's trying to get dirt on Tommy Robinson as I remember yeah ex- exactly right. yeah yeah John John Sweeney so he um then either left or was fired, I'm not sure. And he's become like an independent. He's got this big Patreon channel and he's off in Kiev on his own. And he was just sitting there and he he does he likes to drink. He said he's a high-functioning alcoholic. So he's just drunk and he's crying about the war stuff he's seen, which is mad, the stuff he's talking about. Just children on, you know, dialysis machines and things who can't leave as the Russians are coming and that kind of thing. But the... the str- and so that's strange enough as it is, and it's late at night, and he's in Kiev, and there's like war outside. But also, this was on Sean Atwood's YouTube channel. It's where we did the interview. So he's got hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Sean, a lot of them are Tommy Robinson fans, big fans of his, and so they are going, they are pelting him. So we've got this guy who's a veteran war correspondent crying into his beer or whatever, talking about the horrors of war he's seen. And all these people are saying, the people that you, I think you're talking about, they're big Tommy Robinson fans, and they're also people who are distrusting of the BBC, his next BBC, and they're going, you're a liar. This was the West who did it. This was not, this is NATO and all that. And it is funny how it's all linked together, the sort of Tommy Robinson, the anti-Semitism, they're all saying as well, you know, you're working for the Jews and this and that. And he said like he went to a synagogue in Kiev and saw this. He's not Jewish, John Sweeney. Um, and people in the comments going, Oh yeah, well, so that figures a synagogue. Eh? Well, we know about you, mate. And it's all. Do you, do these things all link up? Do you think that if you're a conspiracy theorist for one thing, you've got to be part of the whole club? I think yeah. I think you just if you. I don't think you can just be a dabbler 
when it comes to conspiracy theories. Can you you're either somebody who values first principles, logic, um, evidence, you know, ha- have a good concept of the sniff test, or you're not. And and, uh, and if you don't have them things, I think you're just an open wound essentially and i think you'll swallow anything and everything i i've seen people like i hate to bang on about this this individual but i'm sure you're familiar with majid nawaz and this is somebody who i used to really look up to xlbc uh radio host somebody who uh fell in with islamists at a young age spent some time in an egyptian cell being tortured he was sort of propagating a very strict version of islam around the globe for uh isbut prescribed group in the uk now actually and on upon his return he sort of reformed himself and and became a sort of a champion for liberal secular values as a muslim and uh, became quite high, high profile spent a lot of time on our screen challenging extremists and did an amazing job of it but i don't know what's happened but I, of i mean before he was uh, spreading any misinformation and conspiracy about vaccines and, and now it's the you know the the war in ukraine uh he was pushing stolen election conspiracy theories over and over uh, to a huge degree. So, yeah, so it's just, it's very interesting to see how somebody who seemed quite sensible on the outset, but I mean, alarm bell should have been ringing actually, because he was, he was once a radical, wasn't he? So I suppose that maybe it's a case of you, it's you just traveling back and forward uh, from one extreme to the other. Uh, I don't know, but that's been a massive disappointment for me to see someone like him, fall so deep down that that conspiratorial rabbit hole to the point where it's not a one-off it's not just the stolen election it's not just um uh covid uh vaccines uh it's now ukraine and russia he's been treating uh sorry retweeting a lot of just false nonsense about false flags today about crisis actors things like that that somebody managed to debunk within moments so i just think once you've swung that door open to this idea of they're all controlling it there's somebody behind it and i'm going to be the one to expose it i can see things others can't i'm not sure the door swings back the other way anymore wyndham hotels and resorts makes travel possible for all whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers or a place to make summer memories with the whole family no matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's interesting what you were saying about um, if you come from sort of one extreme, it can be quite easy to go um, the other way. And that's if that is true, it's quite sad because, I mean, you and I both interview a lot of uh, former cults people people who were in cults and a lot of people it's not you know they were born into it but some people were swayed into it and I, mean, I suppose there's a difference there and i remember you famously famously fell out with uh lloyd evans who's the former jehovah's witness was that you that was you wasn't it oh yes 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 about um ex- exactly that because i think you suggested that was that that was the case with him or said something like that and he was like you don't ever say that to a former uh, person who's been in a cult i think this is a this is a twitter spat and i'll have to check because i fall out with a lot of people on twitter it's difficult to keep track but i think it was to do with that time where people were toppling statues for fun uh, and, and committing acts of vandalism up and down the country in the in whatever progressive social justice ideology and my position on that was that's illegal uh, someone's going to get hurt and it sets a danger dangerous precedent uh, and it swings the other way uh, as a law-abiding citizen. <laughs> You're like, you are getting old. <laughs> Get, that's not the, the child in you. That's illegal. 
and people are going to get hurt. I mean, I agree with you, but... Yeah, law and, o- <laughs> law and order. Uh, and he, he very much disagreed, and I think he, he unfollowed me as a consequence, but that's, that's you know, all the best to him. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's fine. Do you think that is, do you think that's, maybe with Majid in particular, yeah, do you think that is the case that if you've been gone really far one way do you do you lose credibility i've heard a lot of people i've i've argued with a lot of people who say i used to be really far right and now i'm really far left and you're wrong and i i I think in that situation but you were completely different a few years ago and now you're this so how do you know you're not wrong now i think there's something else that i've noticed a lot of recently and i i I, it makes no sense to me either so there are people who say i i used to be left wing but when i saw how, how crazy the left had become i moved to the right which makes me think, was your leftism based on tribal allegiance or certain leftist principles? What, what's changed about the leftist values to you? I mean, from my perspective, as crazy as I think the left is getting, the solution to that is just to keep reiterating your strong liberal leftist principles in response. I don't, I'm never, it's never a case of, fuck this, I'm jumping over to the right. Where's, where's the nearest church now? Uh, I, that, it makes no sense to me that you'd go that way. So I think people are very fickle for a start, but there, there is certainly something to the idea that if you became a known personality by being a former extremist, I think there is a good uh, probability of chance potential that you you will swing the other way at, at some point it might just be in your nature i've seen this with sort of ex-pastors who uh, were in sort of homophobic churches becoming the most ultra ultra crazy social justice liberals um we obviously we've seen uh, islamists go to uh you know secular humanists and then to conspiracy theorists and i think there's this white supremacist in the america in america called christian is he called piccolini i forgot his full name but he's gone from somebody who was like a you know far-right racist neo-nazi type to this ultra progressive liberal who will attach the label racist to anyone that looks at him so it's, it's interesting to see i mean grounding um it means a lot, I think, to people. I think if you if you entered this conversation with a few basic critical thinking skills and tried to build on them rather than your own personality or your own place in the discussion, I think I think that helps you navigate the waters a bit easier. I I try and question it all the time because I don't think I'm particularly uh, intelligent in, in terms of knowing all the answers, but I think you can you can get a little bit closer if you know which questions to ask and, and, you know, fine tuning your bullshit detector uh, a little bit. And I think I find that far too many people are uh, struggle. I mean, very bright people fall at the first hurdle of a, a simple causation fallacy, for instance, you know, cause versus correlation, which is basic stuff. Some that goes over people's heads sometimes. And I'm talking about highly educated, uh, influential and eloquent people. So I think I always recommend people should just learn the basic logical fallacies and, and navigate through the world that way. Become Mr. Spock, essentially. <laughs> You're showing your age again. I didn't. I never <laughs> watched Star Trek. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm talking about the J.J. Abrams uh, reboot. Oh, yeah. well, I didn't watch that's, that either. <laughs> not so many sorry. people did i don't think <laughs> it's it's the critical thinking thing's complicated isn't it um because you get people as you say who are super super smart who are very far left and people super super smart who are very far right they would totally disagree with one another but you would imagine they have quite good critical thinking you know cap- capabilities and they'll still disagree hugely i mean isn't i wonder sometimes if even if a lot of stuff is subjective and critical thinking's not always gonna like whose critical thinking are we doing do you know what i mean i suppose and that's where caveats come into play like sometimes you're not sure if something's true uh 
you, you have a few issues with the source or validity of it. Uh, and then you then you can make a decision whether or not it's worth sharing that or propagating that. I find people now are doing the whole, um, I'm not sure if this is true, but it's interesting thing. And it's bollocks. It's bollocks. But but it, the, the misinformation's got its trousers on and done a lap of the globe uh, in that time because of their influence. Uh, so I, I, there's certainly something to letting your guard down if a certain bit of information sings to your biases as well. Uh, there's lots of things I've seen uh, where I thought this is probably true and this backs up a lot of what I've been saying and I've checked the sources and I can't really verify it and some bits seem a bit sketchy and I've just not shared it. But I could have done the, you know, what do you think of this guy's wink, wink thing? And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's appropriate if you've got, if you've got a sizable audience and you're somebody who styles yourself as a commentator, I do think you have a responsibility to to check things, at least, you know, a bit of bare, uh, sorry, uh, basic diligence. Yeah, that causation stuff you were talking about, like the basic causation, I suppose, uh, that became like a, a big thing with regards to race um, and sex and things in, in, in terms of what jobs people were getting. And it seems like there was no allowance for things like culture, um and other things like that i mean I, the example i use with that is that you know there were no jewish basketball players right there were no jewish football players as well part of that's physical and part of that is uh cultural you know my mum wasn't going to let me leave school at 15 is a whole it was part of the minority thing again very few hindu footballers and basketball players and that kind of thing yeah and you you, you and, and i think yeah, that was something that you you spoke about quite a bit as well. When that was a hot topic, that was a hot topic before the war and a bit before COVID, wasn't it? Um, is is that the kind of thing you mean with the causation correlation? Yeah, and it's it's become especially pronounced um, lately with vaccines. So, and this is old hat to me. I mean, people who who have been interested in in skepticism uh, and debunking are very familiar with the arguments against vaccines. This largely before COVID was uh, a big sort of... It was either the religious right who were anti-vax or some very wishy-washy, hippie West Coast types in America. And it was always the same thing, you know, um, vaccines cause autism. Uh, these all the, you know, there, there was, there's always, it always falls into several camps. It's always, um, uh, a, 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 you know, it's dangerous. Um, it's a conspiracy. And third option is usually there's a miracle cure that we've not considered. It's, them things always show their their face whenever there's a vaccine or a medical procedure. And I saw this time and time again when the COVID vaccines were rolled out. And some people had, you know, understandable concerns that I, I at first I th- I thought to myself, like, this has been done pretty quick, hasn't it? This is, is this normal? Have, have all the um, boxes been ticked here? Have all the clinical trials been carried out? And you, you look into it and uh, you, you can actually see that, yes, the, the, you know, this has been done to the, the usual standard and there are, good, easily understandable reasons as to why the turnaround and the timescale was much quicker than usual. But uh, a lot of people were scared by that. And a lot of people can't understand as well when you administer a medical procedure to that many people at the same time and they log adverse effects. Things that were going to happen anyway are going to correlate with the vaccine as well. So people are taking a lot of this correlation data as causation and it's not been verified. It's very... It's very useful to see what's uh, standing out, what's spiking up so it can be investigated further and, and, you know, people can check for adverse side effects. But the safety data on vaccines is sort of it's sort of there now. It's, we sort of got a big picture uh, of the risks involved. And it's good news, luckily, 
But there is a significant number of people, unfortunately, who got very ill or died needlessly during this pandemic because they believed some bollocks that was tweeted by somebody. And that really, that upsets me because it's it's all fun and games when it's about stolen elections and, uh, you know, uh, moon landing hoaxes or the New World Order. You can sort of laugh that off a little bit. But when it's somebody's life and their 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 health it's utterly tragic that somebody may have died alone at home in covid because from covid because they thought either um the vaccine would kill them or it was a, a conspiracy to get their dna on file or it was you know it's related to 5g or some something crazy theory that that had no validity to it and that that's what worries me about bad ideas they do have bad outcomes when taken to the extreme unfortunately yeah, I, I definitely find myself sometimes getting tempted to to go that way. And that I think the the most I've gone is is probably with masks because I just hate wearing it. And and I think it's it's not that I disagree with the science which which seems to suggest that the masks do help in not spreading it. It what winds me up, I think, is that people don't want to admit that it's horrible to wear and that there are bad sides to it. That's what annoys me. So it's like, yes, we should probably wear them. But let's at least be able to moan about it because I fucking hate having this thing on my face, right? Why is that not allowed to to, to moan about it? I'm not a big fan of the masks. I've I've worn them when I've been asked to worn them or whether well not been asked, but if I walk into an area where there was a requirement, I wore masks. Outside of that, no, uh, and I don't wear them now. There's people now who will be wearing masks uh, until you know 2028 because uh, they just they sort of I think they liked some people just like to be told uh, what to do. Uh, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm sort of agnostic on on masks. I mean, it certainly it makes sense the idea that it may reduce spread uh, in some ways, but I'm, I'm open to the data on that whether or not it helps. But if, you know, if, if the studies conclude that actually masks didn't help at all uh, and that was a mistake, uh, people will just spin that as the um, the narrative that the conspiracy theorists are running with that masks were never about stopping the spread. It was just about engendering compliance throughout society and, and and people can't understand that actually sometimes uh, people at the top who are trying to do good things make mistakes or they're just incompetent uh, and that could be a case with the mass it might turn out that actually they did reduce spread but I don't know I don't know how you measure that I tell you what I have discovered though uh, thanks to COVID the snood oh mate I'm a big I've been a big snood fan for years I was a, I was oblivious uh, just just waiting outside now when I've been camping and the the, the cold winds on my face a snood, but now I'm going to look like a mask wanker, aren't I? If uh, if I just have that on elsewhere outside of the pandemic, so rocking a hard place. I've been told snood. I've been I've been pushed out of shops because I've been in just in the snood. Oh, it's not. Well, they said put put your trousers on as well. <laughs> <They've>... <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, um, no, I've been. They have said like, yeah, it's not enough because you're breathing right through it. And there are certain, you know, and I've also had, because I've said, look, I've not gone further than what I've said now. And, and I should be clear that I, I've seen from, and I haven't done enough research, but from the research I've done, you know, it does seem that it has a small effect in stop. It does stop some spread and it is good for us to wear wear them. So I'm just saying that. But I fucking hate it. And I hate that everyone's just walking around like it's fine. It's not fine. Uh, and it might be fine. Maybe I should wear it fine. And, and I have to be clear because people have, they're commenting on YouTube and stuff going, well, you've lost a subscriber because you're spreading disinformation. And I'm going, I haven't spread anything. I don't know anything. The only thing I've spread is COVID because I'm not wearing a mask. I'm allowed to not <laughs> yeah. like it. Yeah. 
it's it's funny because some of it is there. I mean, this. I mean, if you're right about snoods, then me wearing snoods in and out of shops and nobody caring that's that's one thing. But I remember I got on a train to Scotland, and obviously our laws and mandates were out of sync for a little while. So it was fine not to wear a mask in the UK. Uh, sorry, in England rather. But as soon as you got into Scotland, you needed a mask. Now that creates a ridiculous scenario when you're on a train to Edinburgh. And you're still in England and you're sat next to all these passengers coughing and breathing everywhere. Then you get an announcement when you're crossing the border on the same train with the same people telling you to put your mask on to reduce the spread. So we all look up and get our mask out of our pocket. The same people that have been sat there for the two hour journey. And suddenly we're, we're, we're being safe, which is which is a bizarre situation. And then I get off the train because I think I was covering a protest. So I take my mask off straight away. And uh, I go to interview one of the protesters and she takes exception to me not wearing a mask. And I, I'm like, I'm, well, we're outside. I'm, I'm kind of following the rules. She said, um, do you always do what the government tells you? And I was like, aren't, aren't you here to defend a government bill? Uh, and then that was the end of that conversation. But she, she had the mask and the visor thing going on. She, she looked like Robocop. So, yeah, some people are, are a little bit extreme with it, I think. Yeah. Well, and but then, but then, I suppose I think you and I are both lean towards we don't want to wear masks. I, I particularly don't on like a fourteen-hour flight, and I've I've even been told, and this is this people can accuse me of spreading disinformation if I'm wrong about this. But I do remember being told by somebody who knows about this stuff, and I don't remember who it was, that being on a plane because the air refreshes itself or something purifies itself, it is actually pointless and it is just a symbol. And I was on a plane for about eighteen hours to see my girlfriend's family in Argentina. Eighteen hours with a thing on my, you know, it's it's not nice. So. But but people could say with, with the logic, what you were just saying about how ridiculous it is, and people say as well, uh, oh, how ridiculous, I've got to wear it to the table in a, in a restaurant, and when I sit down, I can take it off. But if you are in the camp of, we should wear masks, and I think that is a reasonable stance to take. So anyone who's screaming at home going, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. No, I think it is reasonable to say, you should wear masks and stuff. They would see it as ridiculous from the other side and go, how mad is it that they're letting people walk to the table without wearing a mask? How mad is it you were allowed on the train in England, or whichever way around it was, without the mask? The ridiculousness lies for them on the side of not having the mask on at any point you should have had it the whole time do you think and i i think i agree with what you're saying there so there, there's obviously two camps but i think with all the arguments and different factions and camps this i mean if you, if you want to look at covid as sort of a dress rehearsal for something more serious i, I think we're knackered aren't we i think i think if something truly deadly comes we'll never be able to cooperate to such an extent to quash it uh when the truth is we probably could if human cooperation was a given and a constant. I do think we'll be we'll be fighting over masks uh, as they're wheeling the bodies out from houses when the next plague comes, which is probably in the post. I think I, th- I can imagine it probably happening. It's not entirely far-fetched to think something more serious will 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 come for us eventually. Yeah, but but this is it. This is it. It's just the size of the world now. And I say this a fair bit, but I mean, you've you've mentioned having a girlfriend. You've got a girlfriend, right? Presumably, mm-hmm. like most couples, you sometimes disagree and don't get on, and it's not always easy. Sometimes, to live. yeah, Jesus. I know. Well, sorry, I meant to say you sometimes get on. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that's that's you know that's the same for most couples, right? That's just two people who are very well in tune with each other and get on very well. So now I just take two random people. It's going to be almost impossible. Now take 70 million in a society. 
yeah, what's the, I give up. I mean, I, I love the fact that we're globally interconnected and I can jump on a plane to Mexico or I can go and see Greece or I can, I can interview someone in a different country or watch movies or listen to music from different cultures. That's amazing. But in terms of human evolution, I, I'm not sure we're supposed to be anything more than tiny little tribes defending, defending a village if we want to uh, succeed in, in, in survival. I think, I think that's probably about the level, but then you have to give up Netflix. So swings and roundabouts. I'm not doing that. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.